Mama always said Jesus was her husband And the only thing she needs She'd turn up Billy Graham so loud That I couldn't sleep And my daddy always smelled like smoke But I was 16 before I knew Welcome to another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. I'm your host, Thea Wood. Now before we start the chat, I'd like to extend much gratitude to Search Plus International for supporting Horizon Music Foundation. As a female-owned search firm, Search Plus advocates for equal opportunity in senior executive, mid-management, and specialized technical careers. Thanks to them believing in our cause, Horizon Music continues to produce amazing programs like this one that uplift women in music. More info is at searchplusinternational.com. Now, let's talk about this episode. It continues our conversation with country music sensation Kaylee Shore. If you haven't heard the first part of the chat, go ahead and check the show notes. We have a link in there for you. Kaylee's chat started off with her very unique family dynamic, her personal struggle with an eating disorder, and the tragic family loss that opened her up to voicing taboo topics in her songwriting. Thus, how Kaylee Shore became an open book. The song you just heard was Escape, an autobiographical tale of her own coping mechanisms. Let's jump back into the action because Kaylee still has a lot more to say and it's worth the listen. What advice would you give to other women who may be facing or overcoming an eating disorder or, or an addiction for that matter, given how uh, your sister's death had affected you? I think it's just like shedding the shame of it and realizing how common it is and that you're not broken. You're just going through something Um, and that's there's ways to fix it. And also that like, it's not going to last forever and there will be a day that you can eat a slice of pizza and not hate yourself after. I actually saw this video on TikTok the other day that like made me cry, but It was this girl showing her transformation and the first video was like her on the couch and her mom and sister are like, not like violently holding her down, but they're like keeping her seated. She's like crying because she doesn't want to eat a bite of this pasta. And this was like immediately after she got out of um, inpatient therapy. Mm -hmm. And then it showed her like, you know, cooking like a, a year or so later, like just looking so much healthier and whatnot. And I think it was just, it was really, really powerful. So you're not going to be crying over eating a a bite of pasta. 
your entire life. And, and that's like important to know, like it, it will feel normal to eat food. More so than I have advice for the people suffering from it, I have more advice for the people around them not being detrimental on their path to recovery. Don't take them to a pastor, take them to a doctor, and don't tell them that they don't actually have a problem. But also commenting on people's appearance when they're in recovery, even if you think you're doing the right thing, is so damaging. Because if I would hear, oh my God, you look healthier, I'd, I'd hear I looked fat. And it's just, oh. you can help somebody recover without ever mentioning their appearance. And it'll be a lot better for them because, you know, when you have an eating disorder, you can twist anything into an insult, like, so quickly. So Right. Just and not, I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, because you would think, like, that, that would be a compliment or telling people, like, oh, you look a little bit better with some meat on your bones. And you're like, I don't want meat on my bones. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so just, like, completely keeping that out of it. I think moving to Nashville was for you also an escape, not just talking about addictions or or eating disorders or what have you, but at, but leaving. Yes, leaving yeah. is an escape. However, like you said, a whole lot of things happened in Nashville as well. One of them was kind of waking up to some of the realities of the country music scene. Yes, yeah, I didn't know the extent that women were discriminated against until I moved here. And it was very eye-opening because I'm a millennial. Like I was just making Spotify playlists and mix CDs. I didn't pay attention to the the charts and I would actively seek out new female artists. So when I wasn't hearing them on the radio, I wasn't really thinking about it because I was listening to them all the time anyways. That was a really big one. I had that wake-up call really quickly. And then also another thing I had a wake-up call to really quickly was just systemic racism within the country music industry. I grew up in Bernie Sanders land. We were one of the first states to legalize gay marriage. There's just lesbians wearing Birkenstocks everywhere. It's beautiful. And I'd never heard somebody say the N-word in like as a as a weapon. I never I never heard any I had not heard a white person say it unless you were like quoting a book that came out in like 1920 in that context, like in a, in a classroom. So it was so disorienting and a, a way that I had to grow up really quickly and just realize all those things so fast. And I think in the country music scene in particular, there are so many taboo topics, yeah. you know, things we don't talk about that are actually happening around us. Yeah. And your music, you, you don't seem to be deterred by those social expectations, uh, including the song 18, which when I first saw the title, and I know that you're a young person, I said, oh, this is going to be really fun. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. And it took an unexpected turn for me as a listener. Well, the first line, the first line will get you. Why don't you explain the premise of the song so that people can understand what I'm talking about? So the song is about my first boyfriend, the one I moved to Nashville with, three years older than me. It doesn't seem like that much. And I think that, you know, age differences can be totally fine in a relationship. This was just my personal experience. He was graduating college when I was graduating high school. He could go out to bars and I couldn't. There was just, there's a big difference between 18 and 22. So that was, you know, a lot. And I also think that there was like a a little bit of an imbalance of power there because of how much older he was. After we broke up, he was 27 and chasing after 20, 21 year old girls. That was so upsetting to, to watch and realize the pattern there. 
there's like a, a space in between. I think there's so many girls who have stories like that and guys about somebody older and the imbalance of power and kind of using their age against them. And it's not being a pedophile. It's not that at all, but it is a power and control situation. And it can be super traumatic. Like so many of my friends had that token older guy that they date when they're 18. And and you get a lot of those compliments, like you're so mature for your age, blah, 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 blah. And like, maybe you are, but like, you need to have those 18 year old life experiences. And so I just kind of skipped over a few years and I was 22 years old playing house. I mean, I was 18 years old playing house. I definitely missed out on a lot. And then we went through the breakup. I got a lot of life experience in that year. Um, I made up for lost time, but that song was written with my current boyfriend about my ex-boyfriend, which is weird. Oh, that is. Yeah, I know. Um, If we can, if we can healthily (laughs) do that, I think we can probably do anything, but we wrote it during quarantine and it was, we'd been together for about three months and we kind of had that first conversation where you really dive into, you know, your past relationship trauma. Every couple has it. And we mm-hmm. were, um, I think we were eating takeout in the back of his car in a, in the park because this was like the part of quarantine where that was like, even that was kind of edgy to go out and do that, you know? Sure, sure. So we're just like in, enjoying that time and I had the conversation and finally told him everything. And we got back to his house after and I was sitting down at his piano and I was like, hey, so we talked about that so much today and it I haven't really verbalized it in so long. I was like, I kind of need to write about it, like just from like a mental health standpoint. And, and he was like, okay, cool. So we wrote it together. It was really really healing. And I think it was helpful for him to have context about that. But yeah, it was a things that only happen when you're a songwriter. It's a little bizarre. Have you felt like that type of, I won't say age discrimination, but power play in the professional setting? Or was that mainly in more of your personal social setting? You know, that's a really good question. I do think that people who are older than you really enjoy talking down to you, especially from when it's a really small margin. I remember so distinctly, there was this this girl who's a publisher in Nashville. I was at a bar. She was with some songwriter and I didn't, I didn't recognize him. And she was like, I, I didn't know who it was. And I still don't know who it was because she didn't tell me, but I said something, you know, I was like, oh, she's like, oh, we're celebrating. And I was like, what are you guys celebrating? And she was like, oh, we just got a like some BMI award or something like that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, congratulations. Like, is that your first one? And he like, she just like kind of scoffed at me and was like, no, do you know who you're talking to? And I was like, no, he didn't introduce himself. And, uh, she was just like, sweetie, you are such a baby and you need to be really careful what you say in front of people who are leagues more important than you. And I was like, Oh my God. And I, 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 I know that it's petty and I know that I should be a better woman than this, but I cannot wait to completely blow her off one day. (laughs) (laughs) But then on the other hand, like Butch Walker is one of my favorite artists of all time, like producers, I, you know, was just talking about his rock opera, but he actually produced Amy and he's producing my new project. (gasps) The only other equivalent I can think of with this is like literally me sitting down across the table from Alanis Morissette or like Kurt Cobain. Like he is that important in my journey. And I just got to go in the studio with him and like hang out. And, And I was totally prepared for 
a different experience than the one I got because I was like, okay, if he's super type A and wants to like, you know, do this vocal 1200 times, even though that's not my style, I'm fine with it. He's Butch Walker. He knows better than me. Um, and I kind of was expecting him to, you know, treat me like a little kid and the level of respect that this man who has produced everybody from Avril Lavigne to Green Day to Taylor Swift had for me and my, my opinion and my art and my song, I was just like, God, nobody has an excuse to treat people like that just because they're younger than them. Like if Butch Walker can like respect me, then certainly that drunk girl at a bar in Nashville can be a little bit more respectful, you know? And, um, it was just, it really made me feel, um, feel so great about working with him. And that was like my biggest takeaway from that first day. Music lovers love the spotlight. And who wouldn't? Our spotlight newsletters are packed full of new episode announcements, music memorabilia auctions and giveaways, access to live virtual events, and introductions to rising stars, new music, and more. Available now at backstagechats.com. You can sign up. Are you a female artist looking for supplemental income? Random Acts of Music is a program where Horizon Music Foundation connects artists just like you with paid virtual events. No travels required. Email info at horizonmusic.org. That's info at h-e-r-i-z-o-n music.org. Horizon Music Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit, and Random Acts of Music is one of our programs that supports our mission to uplift women in music. Now, back to the show. And this also leads to kind of a question of, do we think that, especially the country music scene, is ready for a different dialogue within their music? And it sounds to me like we're saying yes, after all of the recognition that you've been getting for an album that really does uh, kind of go away from what the, you know, diverge from what the norm is in the, in country music songwriting for women. And I think that the audience is ready for that. You know, I'm excited to hear what Amy is about. Amy and 18 are actually about the same situation. So the first line of 18 is, which one did you harder, my best friend or my self-esteem? I... I'm such a girl's girl. Like the first thing I think when I see another woman is like, I want to be her friend. I don't just hate girls for no reason. I'm a feminist and I like just, I don't quote unquote hang out with guys because they're less drama. There's so much toxicity in that statement. And I just like, I'm girl code all day. To that point, if a woman does something really messed up to another woman, she doesn't get a hall pass on it just because she's a girl. I actually think that a lot of the things that are holding women back in the industry are the, you know, internalized misogyny from other women. The person who told me at a record label that they couldn't sign me because I was a girl was a girl. Isn't that unbelievable? It's unbelievable. And I think that it's this culture of women having to masculinize themselves in order to survive in the industry. And so it's not really Mm -hmm. their fault, but also like be the change, you know? To that point, this girl was a friend of mine for a while. We worked together. I'd done a lot of professional favors for this girl and, and really tried to kind of take her under my wing. She's a little bit younger than me. Then we go through this, I go through this breakup and lost a lot of friends in the process, which was mind boggling given how messy it was when it went down and how 
black and white the whole situation was as to, you know, who had wronged who. It wasn't like, again, it wasn't like a mutual breakup where they were like, well, Kaylee, you really got to see it from his perspective. I was like, he cheated on me and he got physically violent with me in front of other people. So, and those people who saw it ended up choosing him in the end. And that's so upsetting on so many levels. Uh, This girl is not one of them, but I felt really alone after that breakup because of how- And betrayed. Yeah. Betray- betrayal is the, the main word there. Yeah. And I felt like I didn't have anybody to turn to. And so I was making new friends who were so supportive, but you need old friends in situations like that. And I just looked up and they were gone. This girl like kind of just ghosted me completely. Like we never discussed it. And I was so confused. And then I, I kind of had this moment where I was talking to him we were fighting at some point like months down the road um which I just did not I did not need to be fighting with him nine months after we broke up you know like Mm -hmm. so that was an error on my part but I just looked at him he had I'd heard these rumors about this one girl I didn't know her name but I kind of put the pieces together in that moment and I looked at him and I was like I know about Amy and he was like how do you know about that? And I was like, I don't know. I just know. And he like freaked out and he was like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's not your business, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of tried to pretend that that hadn't happened because it was easier for me to just pretend that this girl would not do something like that to me. And then she released an entire album about him in 2020 and his name was in it. So she had a song that said his name. And then I listened to the songs and could very quickly put together what the situation, like how it went down the timeline. I mean, she even talked about like the months it happened. So I knew it was like two months after we broke up and it was just so, so wild to me. And, And, And plus to have the personal and professional all come out, but from somebody else's songwriting. Oh yeah. And I mean, like this was somebody who had like asked me to like, like had specifically been like, Hey, can you send my song to your friend Perez Helton? Can you like, let me borrow these clothes for this video shoot? Can you, um, do all these things? Like I took her to, um, a Katy, like we went to a Katy Perry concert and I had pit tickets and like, we got to be like two feet from Katy Perry. Like I just felt like, love it. I was like, yeah. And it was, and I was so fun. And I I didn't expect anything in return from that other than like, don't have sex with my abusive ex-boyfriend like that was pretty much the only thing I wanted in return um and so I wrote this song about it sometime after because I had had the idea since the first time I had an inkling that they you know that had happened and that was 2018 but I came back to the idea in January of, of 2021 with Candy um and our other really good friend John Caldwell and I was like I think I'm finally ready to write about this because the anger has subsided and I can just write exactly what happened and not be like you're a dumb bitch blah 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 you know <laughs> like um so I wrote the song and every word of it's true I know it's scathing I know it's really um I I don't know if I would necessarily call it mean because all I'm doing is saying facts that happened, but it's definitely a different type of writing. And it's the first time I've ever written a negative song about another girl. So I had to kind of really think if that was something I wanted to put into the world. And then when it got, I did, it got 2 million views on TikTok and counting and I got to produce it with my dream producer, Butch Walker. And it's been really kind of healing to see how much good can come of something that caused me so much pain. But it's been a weird experience to have all this happen and like have it be so 
so about somebody, you know, like I had Effie Forever on open book and that was really some like a very similar style of writing. It didn't blow up to this extent. So to have like 2 million plus people know this. You know like, what that means. Yeah. We can all relate to one degree oh, or another. Sure. I know, like the comments were like, so many people had had this situation happen. And I was like, there was one girl, her mom's name was Amy, and her mom slept with her ex-boyfriend after they broke up. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, like I was just getting the tea in the comments like all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just sad that people can relate. But, and there were some people who were like, well, he's your ex. Why does it matter? I'm like, it matters because she stopped being my friend when I needed her and she picked a toxic man over her friend. And that is not good feminism. Writing a, a objectively nasty song about another girl, like, yeah, that you can make the argument that's not very feminist. But the reason that like men like that get to stay out in the world hurting people is because of the girls who choose them and enable it. Looking at it again from the professional perspective of all this being put out there, we all know that the music industry is pretty cutthroat. Yeah. And we write about what we know <laughs> or what we've experienced. So what advice would you give to a young songwriter about what she puts out there and and how to handle it with the music industry where the idea of the myth of scarcity is prevalent? If you write your truth and you're writing things that you've gone through, everybody has a different life experience. And if you just really only write about what you know, your music is going to be so authentic and so different just from that fact. There, If you're writing your story vividly, there's no way that it can truly be derivative. And I think that's a huge problem with the scarcity thing. The argument that these misogynists are using is that every girl sounds like a Taylor Swift or a Miranda Lambert or a Carrie Underwood. And it's not true, but you have to give them a million reasons that it's not true to the point of, of truth. If you're going to write a song exposing somebody, every line has to be fact-checked and, and every line has to be accurate because, you know, it, people can figure out who the song's about and mm-hmm. you don't want to be slandering somebody. I mean, I think there's a word for it. It's called libel. I don't know if, if that really counts in the context of a song unless you said their last name. But, yes, um, li- libel and yeah. slander. Slander is verbal. Libel is written, I believe. Yeah. So both. Mm-hmm. That's a song is both. So, yeah. Um, and uh, so it's just, you know, write, write what really happened and what really happened to you and how it really felt. And I think everything else will kind of fall into place as long as you work hard and are kind to people outside the people who hurt you and you write songs about. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> Amen, sister. I'm with you. We're getting to the end of our conversation and we've covered so much, but oh my gosh, I feel like we could cover so much more. Kaylee, thank you so much for being on our show and for telling your stories and for most of all, helping others heal. I am so honored that you have joined us today. Thank you. Thank you. And and look forward to hopefully having another conversation with you again soon. Ladies and gentlemen, why do we love ladies like Kaylee? Because they remind us to be dreamers, to be rule breakers, and to unleash our inner rock stars. Thanks for joining us, everyone. It's a wrap.